Season 3, Episode 7 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. This week, I chat to Steve McQueen, who is part of Conservation Outcomes. Conservation Outcomes is an NGO that has been established to support land that is being developed and managed for biodiversity conservation outside of state-protected areas. They partner with BirdLife South Africa in KwaZulu-Natal to conserve the blue swallow and its habitat. Steve will be telling us all about the blue swallow and the important work that has been done to conserve it. He also tells us the locations where you can possibly get to see one of these special birds. We encourage our listeners who would like to see blue swallow being conserved to support BirdLife South Africa and the important work they are doing. We'll put a link in the notes of the show if you want more information about supporting them. Please take some time to visit our online store on our website. We sell optics, books, art and more, all to help you as a birder. If you need further assistance about products or anything else around the birding life, drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com and we will get back to you. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser Bird Logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other. Amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Check out our website at www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our various social media platforms, as well as the other podcasts we host. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help others find the show. So let us get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. So Steve, welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. I'm really excited to get to chat to you today. Thank you, Adam, and thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be here and hopefully talk a little bit about blue swallows and, and why we need to look after them, yeah. Before we chat about blue swallows, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your fascination with the special species started? Okay, so I've been in nature conservation my whole career. I started with the Natal Parks Board in 1991. I was with the Natal Parks Board in Isambelo for 26 and a half years and basically working on resource use and sustainable use type issues. And in 2015, two friends of mine and I decided that the writing was on the wall for for conservation on private and, and communal land and that Isambela was no longer going to deal with it properly. So the NGOs would have to do it. So we set up our own NGO called Conservation Outcomes. We're, we were you know, established in 2015. We've been going seven years now. Um, there are three of us who founded it. We're now nine people in total. We have a fantastic partnership with BirdLife South Africa and and through that partnership, we are working on Blue Swallow. We, we coordinating the monitoring in KwaZulu-Natal and, and also working with the Pumalanga guys to, to help them. And then we are also looking to support and establish new protected areas to conserve the, the Blue Swallow's habitat because Miss Belk grassland, as I'll talk a little bit more about data, is, is probably one of the most threatened grass, grassland types in the country. And so we need to look after whatever we can. 
So that's basically in a nutshell where I'm coming from. So you touch on the fact that you're a part of Conservation Outcomes. Can you tell us a little bit more about this organization and the work that they are doing? Okay, so we, like I said, we're, a, we're an NGO. We, we established ourselves in, in, in 2015. We've been going for seven years now. And basically, we, we, are, are, we set ourselves up to establish and support conservation areas in private and communal land. So um, we try and through, through a mechanism called biodiversity stewardship, which is a subject for a whole other podcast probably, um, we work with private land and communal landowners to establish new protected areas supported by the Protected Areas Act and um, to secure areas that are extremely important for biodiversity and for conservation. Um, and then we also do support those areas post-declaration. So we try and work with landowners to make sure that they you know, that they are managing appropriately um, to try and set up projects that provide benefits to them um, and so on and so forth. So I, I won't go into too much detail now, but basically that's what we do. And then how did conservation outcomes get involved in the conservation of blue swallows? Through our partnership with, with BirdLife South Africa, which we set up in 2017, yeah, and there were two two aspects to the partnership that we are doing. And like I say, one is the, the monitoring of the blue swallow breeding success and population in KZN had, had basically fallen over. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. So we established a partnership to one, re- revive that um, and get a, whole, get a handle on what is actually happening to this little bird in, in KZN in particular. And then secondly, to, to establish and support areas that um, uh, basically the blue swallow's habitat and try and support and, and establish formal protected areas in blue swallow habitat to try and secure its habitat for the, in the long term, um, as much as of, it, of it as we can. Yeah, so it basically came about as um, yeah, we, we, we've been working with the bird life guys for many, for many years um, and, uh, well, prior to me joining Conservation Outcomes with Ezenvelo, um, I, I worked with people like Mark Anderson and Melissa for, for a long time. So I knew them well. My, my two partners knew them very well and they know us. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice partnership and it's been a really productive one and, and a really happy one. So I'm actually proud to say I'm half a BirdLife staff member because I'm effectively representing BirdLife South Africa in KZN at the moment. And it's a privilege. So, yeah. You know, if I were to ask you in a broad sense, you know, what are the the goals of this? You'd obviously say that the goal is that blue swallows are ultimately conserved. But are there any strategic outcomes that you hope to see in the next, in the years to come? Talking about these tangible results that you hope to see um, as the project goes forward. Absolutely. So we have declared, we think now, one, two, three, four. Um, and we, we've, we've, we've declared four new protected areas in blue swallow habitat and, 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 um, important for other things as well, like other bird species and, um, botanically as well, very important. And we have another two in process at the moment. So, um, in three years, we've managed to secure four protected areas. We've got another three in pro, in at least two in progress. And that comes to probably close to 4,000 hectares, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you have postage stamps, relative postage stamps size properties in the case in Midlands, because the rest of it is so changed and under plantations and crops and whatever else, um, yeah, you've got to do, you've got to do what you've got to do. So I think in, in 10 years time, we'd like to be able to say we, we have at least secured 
legally secured X number of protected areas and X number of habit of, of hectares of blue swallow habitat so that we know that those areas will not change their land use because legally they're not allowed to because they are declared nature reserves or protected environments. So um, I think that's the kind of legacy we would like to, to leave and then also to support those landowners who all of whom are, are, are very keen to do to contribute and, and to look after this little bird and its habitat. So it's very important that that we stay in support of them and maintain those good relationships. So we've got listeners from all around the world. And for those who have never seen a blue swallow, can you tell us a little bit more about the species and its distribution and how it looks? Just tell us a little bit more about the special bird. Sure. Okay, so let's do a little quick blue swallow 101. So it's a it's an iridescent metallic blue swallow. It's a beautiful little bird. It has under the wings it's got little white patches, but that's the only part of it that isn't blue. The males have these really beautiful long tail streamers, and it, that's unique to this bird. I think There's, there aren't any other swallows that have tail streamers like this. Um, it is an intra-African migrant, so it spends summers in South Africa and it breeds here, and it spends its winters in East Africa. So. Um, it does move between East Africa and Southern Africa. It likes high altitude grasslands. So, in other words, between somewhere between 850 and about 1,900 meters in altitude, um, with a rainfall of greater than 1,000 millimeters per annum. Those are the areas that this little bird favors. Um, they are cooperative breeders. They nest in sinkholes in the ground, um, in some places, abandoned mine shafts. Um, and particularly in, in KZN, um, in KwaZulu-Natal, they, 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 they also nest in artfark holes. So those are holes that are made by an animal called an artfark, which digs into the ground to burrow to find um, termites and, and food. And they make these holes and these birds actually use abandoned artfark holes to nest in. They build their nests on the side of, of the burrow and they lay three eggs at a time. And in a good season, they may have three clutches. Otherwise, normally two clutches per season uh, a pair will, will, will lay. And then, so breeding-wise, they basically from starting to build a nest until fledging chicks, you're probably looking at probably around just under two months, um, give or take. So in they breed between, they normally arrive back in South Africa from about late September, early October, and they leave again at the end of March, early April. So they've got six months, and then, like I say, in a good year, a, a, an active pair will can fledge three three clutches of chicks. But normally, it's it's one or two clutches. Yeah. So I'm sure as we chat about the special species, there's people from around the country that probably would love to see this bird. So where are some places that people can get can see a blue swallow? Let me first off say that they're not easy to find. They are like. In South Africa, we estimate somewhere between 35 and 50 pairs left in the country. And they are, yeah, they, they are quite cryptic. And if you know where to look, you'll find them. But there are several places in the KwaZulu-Natal Midlands where they can be seen, to name a couple. Hyover, um, which is in the Umkamas Valley, has two breeding pairs there. And they are seen routinely, especially this year, they've been very active. And then in the Kopo area, uh, Buddhist Retreat, which is one of the areas that we have in process of being declared a nature reserve. They they are very active there, and they've been breeding every year, every year, every year there for probably the last twenty to thirty years that we know of, and probably long before that. Um, and then um, last year, the sort of the capital of of uh, 
of Blue Swallow Territory was a, a place called Roselands Nature Reserve, which is just outside of, of uh, Richmond in the Quasin- southern KwaZulu-Natal Midlands. And um, very good place to see them there. They have to actually have dedicated guides to take people to see the birds. They won't take you to the nest hole for obvious reasons, but um, they will take you to see the, where the birds are. And, and there have been some fantastic photographs taken there um, over the last year or two. And then um, in Pentland Nature Reserve, which is the only state-owned nature reserve that has blue swallows in it, that uh, you can go and see them there as well. Otherwise, they're all on private land, and you can go. And, I mean, we yeah, they they are accessible as long as you get the landowner's permission and you go and have a look. So, when we were preparing for this episode, we spoke about a few places where blue swallow used to be seen and they're not seen anymore. What are some of the reasons that this has happened? Yeah, um, that's a very good question and a very difficult one to answer. There obviously are reasons for that, but we're not sure what those reasons are. You know, 10 years ago, there were a couple of breeding pairs up in a nature reserve called Blinkwater, which is in the Karkloof. And they deserted those that area, and we cannot figure out why that happened. Uh, we think it's because the area surrounding that particular piece of misbelt grassland is, is just wall-to-wall timber plantations. But then there are other areas that are very similar with wall-to-wall timber plantations surrounding them where the birds are quite happy to breed. So it's very hard to say why. But I think part of the, the thing is that with the, the small number of birds that are left now, even a small event on their migration route or something that happens to them in the overwintering area or something like that that we don't know about um, will impact them. And Maybe the birds that were in a particular place one year, something happens to them while they're migrating or when they're away, or they might something might happen to them here, which there's no ways we will pick up unless we're extremely lucky. And um, and the next thing, they're not there. So, yeah, it's very, very hard to say, but we don't believe that it's an issue of, of, of a shortage of nest holes. There are plenty of those around. The insect loads in these places are pretty good, so there's no shortage of food. Sometimes the weather is really bad. I mean, this year we've had really big rainfall events that have washed nests off the sides of nest holes. So those kinds of things could contribute, but there's a lot we don't know. And um, there could be any number of reasons why uh, the birds will be in one place one year and then they're not there the next. And then suddenly the year after that, they'll come back again. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I can imagine that's one of the big challenges with conserving blue swallows, the fact that they migrate, because obviously you can do an amazing work in South Africa and do a whole lot of conservation work here, but you have absolutely no control about where they migrate to and also what happens when they are in the process of migrating. No, we don't. And But we are what we have started doing in this last while is, 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 is re- reviving the, the working relationships with our neighboring states and, and the bird life people there. Because I think a lot of the, the, the sort of the, I think people have lost what's happening to blue swallows in, in those areas as well, particularly in places like Zimbabwe and Tanzania. I know that there are birds in Malawi and in Uganda, and we're trying to revive the monitoring that goes on up there that, that you certainly used to go happen up there. Um, to, we've had one workshop with, with our southern and African, southern and eastern African counterparts. And I'm sure there will be more coming this year to to try and revive this um, work that's going on there. But yeah, as you say, it's all very well us doing what we can here, but we do not have control over what happens there. And and yeah, we need to. We, the only way we can try and do something about that is to work with um, our, our colleagues in those neighbouring states and in East Africa. 
What I found quite interesting as I was preparing for this episode was that globally, Blue Swallow is listed as vulnerable, while in South Africa, it is listed as critically endangered. Can you explain a little bit about how a cons- the conservation status works? And something that I was just thinking about, you know, if this bird is listed as vulnerable globally, and only in South Africa, and it's listed as critically endangered, why the big need to try and conserve the, the species? Okay, so it's, it's listed at the moment, it's listed as vulnerable globally, um, because they estimate there to be about between 1,170 and, well, 1,140 and 1,170 pairs left. However, that's based on what I think is pretty outdated information. And um, personally, I'm not convinced that there's that number of birds left in Africa and that probably needs to be revised, which is one of the reasons why we're trying to work with our colleagues in, in, in the other states to, to actually get a handle on what really is happening. So for that, but in South Africa, we know that there are only between 35 and 50 pairs left here and give or take one or two that we may not have found yet. But to put that into some sort of perspective, so for every white rhino that is still in the wild, um, we have probably about half a blue swallow left. If you, if you kind of put it, if you compare it in that way and, and the white rhino is getting such a lot of attention and for good reason, but this little bird is so much more threatened and rarer than, than that animal is. I think that the vulnerable status globally needs to be looked at again and revised. You know, we, we are, personally, I never like to see something upgraded to endangered or critically endangered because it means that we're failing to do what we're trying to set ourselves out to do. So it's not something we want to see, but I, 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 I believe that that vulnerable status is a little bit inaccurate at the moment. So what is known about the blue swallow's breeding as well as its migration habits? Um, okay, so we know, as I, I sort of was telling you about earlier, we know sort of their breeding cycle and, and how many clutches they, they, they will fledge in a, in a given time. We know where they're breeding, rough, well, we think we know where they're breeding. We know where most of our population is. That's not to say we haven't missed a couple of nest sites. I mean, just this year, we found two nest sites that we didn't know existed before. So that's good. But we're running out of habitat, so that's that's the main thing. But as again, we, we just do not know what happens to them. There are a lot of unknowns. We don't know what happens to them between South Africa and where they go to overwinter, and and um, we suspect that yeah, um, there, there might be there there got to be things happening too because you know these birds are breeding here, but we're not seeing increasing numbers coming back every year. So what is happening to those fledglings and, 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 and so on? So, you know, we're seeing slight increases in the last couple of years, but, you know, it's hard to say that they are statistically significant when there only are 36 pairs or something that you're able to monitor. And from one year, then the next year, suddenly you're getting 38 pairs. It's, it's, it's an increase of two, which as a percentage is significant of that small number. But, yeah, what, you know, there should be a lot more coming back. And we actually don't know what is happening. So all we can do here is really is is secure their habitat and, and keep tabs on, on what they're doing here as, as an immediate response to, to try and keep, um, look after this bird in South Africa anyway. So what factors have led to them being critically endangered in South Africa? So we've had over the, over the, over the, sure, 
over the last 20 to 30 years, we've had extreme modification of their habitat, particularly here in KZN and, and in Mpumalanga. So uh, the misbelt grasslands are also very good agricultural areas. The soils are good. They're nice and rich soils. They've got plenty of carbon in them, lots of organic matter, lovely for crops. So we have seen extensive change from natural grassland into timber plantations, agricultural crops, and so on. And that together with, with ever-expanding rural um, developments and, and, and uh, dwellings and stuff, we basically have just seen their, their habitat eroded to what it is now. And these birds don't have any habitat. They have nowhere to go. They can't breathe. They can't feed. So that has been basically the, the principal reason for their decline in numbers over the years. So you've spoken about all the challenges around conserving this species, but what sort of conservation interventions have been undertaken to conserve the bird? So yeah, I've spoken about um, looking after their habitat. So in, in the last two years, we, like I said, we've, we've declared four new nature reserves and to secure the habitat there. Um, we're monitoring them. And then we're continuing to work with landowners to look for, to, to secure new areas where they, we know they are breeding and, and feeding and, and, and that kind of thing. So that's an immediate response. We, we are trying to secure, legally secure habitat so that those areas cannot be put under timber or anything else um, going forward. So that's securing that habitat. And it doesn't, it, it, the, what we're doing doesn't guarantee their survival, but it certainly helps because we, we're making sure that they at least have somewhere to come back to and, 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 and breed. Yeah, and then I think, you know, there's a lot more that we could be doing in terms of getting to know what this, what this bird is about and where it goes. We don't, and we know it goes to East Africa, but like, let's say, the birds from Roselands. We don't know where those birds are going in East Africa. Um, um, and it's very difficult to find that out without possibly impacting on the very tiny population that we already, that we, that we have left. Um, you know, vultures are relatively easy to track. Um, you can put satellite trackers on them, but you can't put a satellite tracker on a, on a bird that weighs six or eight grams. And yeah, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Firstly, the, the weight issue. Then even just catching a blue swallow in a mist net is a risk to that bird. We cannot afford to risk a, even a single bird at the moment injuring it or, or it dying because of it's recapturing it for a research purpose. So the only other way to try and do it is, um, and my, my late colleague and friend, a guy called James Waitlin, was starting to do this eight years ago, was looking at DNA analysis um, from blood samples from uh, that had been taken from, from chicks about to fledge and comparing DNA to um, in the South African birds to what's happening up in East Africa. And he was about to go up to East Africa to go and take more blood samples there when he was tragically killed in an air crash. So um, unfortunately, no one's picked that work up, although um, um, I believe, you know, there are people that are really interested in, in those data are around. So it, it, it's, there's, there's potential for that to be extended and, and picked up. But yeah, all we can really do is look after their habitats here in, in Mpumalanga and KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa um, and, and, and try and protect those birds through looking after their habitat. So you've spoken about the fact that you've done monitoring. What observations have been made while this monitoring has been done? Okay, so in the last couple of years, we've, we've actually, in, in last year's monitoring results, we actually got about a 38% increase over the previous year in terms of the numbers of fledglings that were produced. So that was a positive. Um, and 
every every year since 2018, when we revived the blue solar monitoring, we've seen an increase, and that's possibly also because we are putting more effort into monitoring. So you know, if you put more effort in, you're going to find more stuff. But we'll see what happens this year. There, there's some areas that we're seeing declines, but then at the same time, we've we're seeing areas where, where new nests are being found. So it's hard to say what will happen this year until we get all the data in and and uh, analyze it at the end of the season. But basically, it involves. A monitoring trip involves a very early morning start, going out to wherever you're going. If you don't know where the nest hole is, you've got to find the birds, you've got to watch them. You've got to sit and, and try and keep your eye on them, which is not easy. They're very quick. They very um, they disappear easily. But when you see them going down into the ground, that's probably where there's a nest hole. You've got to go and have a look and see if there's a nest there. If there is one, then you've got to be quite careful about checking it seeing if there's a nest hole built, if it's lined, if it has feathers, um, and if there are any eggs on it or any 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 new chicks and that kind of stuff. Um, and basically doing this once a week for six months at plus minus 40 nest sites in KwaZulu-Natal and a, and a few, good few in Mpumalanga as well. So it's, it's, and it's, it's much bigger than a one-person job. At the moment, we've got nine people helping us to monitor and... Yeah, even that we we I don't know that we're getting to everywhere. So although we are putting in a lot of effort, and and you know the more people we can get in and and cover the the provinces better, obviously the better idea we will get on on what is really happening with this bird. So one of the conservation interventions that you do is something called niche modelling. Can you explain what this is in simple terms? Okay. So based, very basically, it's, 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 it's looking at factors that make good blue swallow habitat and using computer-generated models, using geographic information systems and so on and so forth to, to model um, and, and, and map areas that have similar characteristics where we would predict that blue swallows would occur. So that, that would come up with a predictive map where we think based on where we know they occur, where are the similar areas? And we go and look there to see if they really do occur there. So the niche modeling is helping us to go and ground tooth in areas where they are predicted to occur based on suitable habitat. Um, and then what we've been doing as well is, is, is checking those areas to see if there are birds there or not. Um, and it's one of the ways of trying to find new areas that we didn't know about before. So that's very simply, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, but um, that's very simply what it is. So what efforts are being done to conserve the habitat that is important for the blue swallow to thrive in? So we're declaring new protected areas and trying to support them. So, so yeah, part of that support is, is working with landowners to develop a management plan. So making sure that the area, um, that the fire management and grazing management is, is, is appropriate and, and, and done properly. We are helping with a, a herbicide assistance program to try and combat alien invasive plants, which is also another threat to these birds. Um, American bramble in, in, in Mistbelk grasslands is a huge issue, and it is invading in many areas. And, um, yeah, it, we, it could or could not be a threat to these birds. We're not entirely sure, but we are working with landowners to try and um, help them with costs involved in, 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 in combating these alien invasive plants, which they need to do for a whole bunch of other reasons other than blue swallows as well. Yeah, so it's it's basically working with landowners to establish protected areas and then to working with them to support their management to make sure that those habitat areas are, are kept as near pristine as we possibly can. 
So I can imagine one of the challenges is, is you get a farmer or a landowner who discovers blue swallows on his property. He calls you guys in. You see you see the the blue swallows and all of a sudden he can't plant on this piece of land. And yeah, I can imagine there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of challenges around this. So what sort of incentives is there for a farmer or a landowner to conserve blue swallows on their land? Okay, so that's a very good question. And 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 there's a very nice story um, in near Crichton and between Crichton and Ecopo. Um, I won't name the farmer's name now, but basically exactly that scenario happened. He wanted to change land use and put um, pasture grasses in, and he had to undergo an EIA. They found blue swallows on the property. He then decided, well, that's okay. He went and bought a piece of property next door, which is already a bit um, modified and 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 land use changed. And decided to keep that misspelled grassland intact. So you know, he's there are other guys who, who maybe don't think like that, but the incentives involved in 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 so there's a there's a mechanism called biodiversity stewardship, and it's supported by the Protected Areas Act, and it's basically working with private and communal landowners to secure areas on private land. Um, landowners retain full title; they don't get they don't have any conservation agencies coming over and then taking over and telling them what to do, whatever. Everything is done with them. Um, and there are various categories to stewardship, um, ranging from a full-on nature reserve, if, you're, if, if the area qualifies for that and the landowner is willing to go that route, basically down to a, a, a very sort of contractual arrangement with, with Kays and Wildlife, which, which is not nearly as secure. The incentives for a landowner to do that um, the main one is there's a very nice tax incentive that SARS have for for private landowners who secure um, or, or declare their properties or part of their properties as a nature reserve. It's in Section 37, Capital D of the Income Tax Act. And that, um, without going into a hell of a lot of detail, allows a landowner to claim back the full value of that land at 4% a year off their income tax. So that's a nice incentive for some guys. Um you know, I do understand there, there are a lot of guys out there who are not paying income tax because they're not making any money. But even there, um, that incentive works for them because um, it goes, you know, a tax incentive like that will go against an assessed loss. And if they should sell the property one day, that, that would get it back off capital gains tax. So that that's a nice, that's one incentive. Then the Property Rates Act in terms of nature reserves, it's quite clear that the nature reserves are exempt from property rates, so that's another one. Um, and then we do try um, and provide incentives to landowners, like I said, through herbicide assistance programs and, and, and things like that. So, And then I think it's also you know, a place like Rosen's Nature Reserve, they've actually marketed themselves quite nicely lately, particularly through the whole COVID story, through making themselves an attraction for people to come and see blue swallows. And they've actually managed to keep themselves going to a large degree based on income from people coming to see blue swallows. So, you know, if it's used well, I think they, you know, it can be a benefit to landowners. But I think also a lot of landowners, they're just happy to do the right thing and, and, and contribute to the greater good, so to speak. So we've spoken about all the work that you guys are doing. And I can imagine with all the work you're doing, it requires a lot of funding. So where does the funding for this project come from? Okay, so through BirdLife, um, we've, we've managed, we, we have some really good and um, consistent and, and loyal funders. And um, yeah, uh, the Hans Haas and Charitable Trust is one of those. 
Um, the N3 Tolkien session funds a lot of our work, which is great. And then we, in this last year, we had a really nice project that we got funding through the IUCN Save Our Species Fund. Um, and they funded us for a year and we've managed to employ two additional monitors through that. And, and then there's a lot of goodwill out there from people who, who, who do make small donations to BirdLife South Africa that, that keep this program sort of head above water. So that's basically where, where our funding does come from. And, and yeah, there are other funders as well. And, and, and I do apologize if I've missed any, but, um, uh, there, there's several that, that keep us going and, and, um, and, and enabling us to do the work that we do. So what does the road forward for blue swallow conservation look like? At the moment, I think it's looking pretty good in terms of, of us being able to carry on doing what we're doing. Like I say, we have, we have really good funding partners at the moment that, that are, are supporting us. And there's a lot of interest from the public as well and from, from additional donors lately to, to, to help and, 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 and contribute to what we do. So in terms of, of capacity to carry on doing what we're doing, I think it's looking good. And the more people out there become aware of, of the plight of this bird and its habitat, including landowners, you know, we're finding more and more people that are, are, are willing to, to look at, at, at securing areas and looking after them. And as stewardship and, 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 and securing new protected areas increases, more and more people see that it is not something that, you know, it's not the state taking over their land and it's not taking away any of their land use rights and stuff like that. And we are getting more and more interest from people to, to actually look at this more seriously. So to be positive about it, I think it, it, right now it's, it's looking quite good. However, with the economics as they are and, and that there is also a lot of increasing pressure on, on landowners to, to modify land to make a living off that land. So, you know, they, there's a very fine balancing act and, and to, that we have to work with here. And it's understandable. So, yeah. So we've spoken about what you've been able to learn about the species over the time we've observed them and done your work with them. But is there still things that you are seeking to understand about the species? Uh, yes, um, Mpumalanga province definitely. Um, you know, historically they were the birds were always there. We know there are there are still birds there, but there there are several areas that um, we know that the birds were there that they are no longer. Um, we have this this last year we've had a, a full time monitor looking um, and monitoring the birds up there. So Mpumalanga province and and KZN are the two areas that this bird does occur in in South Africa. But otherwise, it's it's about looking at those niche models that we spoke about earlier, and 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 going into areas that we have no previous records of blue swallows occurring or, or or breeding sites, and looking for them, which is very time consuming, and it sounds like a f- fabulous job to do, and it is. It's lovely to go out there and bird watch, but it's not easy. So it's about it's just about effort and and hours putting put in to to find these birds, and and then. And, and record the where they are, record their nest sites, um, map them, and, and, and monitor what's going on so we get a good handle on what's happening. And then the all-important question to finish off, if listeners are listening and they want to do something, what can they do to help conserve blue swallows? Sure. I think, okay, the, the obvious one is we're always happy to have some financial support. So any donations to, to BirdLife South Africa for, for blue swallow work, are always gratefully, gratefully received and, and acknowledged. 
So that that I think is the main one, and then just sort of you know raising awareness amongst amongst people about the plight of this bird and and where it occurs and 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 the reason why it's declining, and and, and you know it all helps in. You know, I think publicity and awareness is 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 very important. So I think those two things, um, yeah, just helping us to have resources to do the work that we're doing and to and to and to increase that and, and improve that work, and 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 then just basically putting the word out and 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 raising awareness amongst everyone. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll pop a link in the notes to the show. If you're listening via radio station, you can just pop us an email on info@theburninglife.com, and we'll be happy to send you all the links if you want to give towards this important cause. But like I've said on many shows before, giving to BirdLife South Africa is a really great way to support conservation. This is one of the world's best conservation organizations. Um, they use the money ethically and really fantastic organization to support. Um, if, you have, if you're not supporting them yet, we do encourage you to support them and the work they are doing. But Steve, it's been fantastic to have a chat to you. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting in the future again and hearing some success stories of um, how these special birds have been conserved and how the numbers are increasing. But we're looking forward to hearing some stories in the future in the years to come. Thank you for inviting me and it's been a privilege and it's been great to chat to you all. Thank you so much. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books Online Store to help get all the best birding and nature books into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link either in the comment section of this podcast or our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Don't forget to follow The Birding Life on Twitter Instagram, and Facebook. We appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Bird Lesser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a lifeless while playing your part in social conservation, as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.